Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Very Cold Lasagna Podcast, your filthy casual place for all those filthy casual takes on the world of sports. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna. This is episode number 160 of this icy yet spicy sports podcast. Today, we got another good show for you all because we got another one of those late, out-of-date professional wrestling reviews on an event that, well, that happened this past weekend, but here we are talking about it two days later because, well, there are things in life that you cannot control, and, well, here we are <laughs> um, now having a chance to talk, just now talk about it. But anyway, we're here with episode 160 to talk about perhaps the biggest event that AEW has ever held so far, and that is All In in London 2023. So this is the spiritual successor to the first ever All In event that was technically not uh, related to AEW, but it did lead to the formation of All Elite Wrestling back in 2018. So this was announced prior beforehand all the way back in april i mean probably well well planned several months beforehand but here we are now four months later and well sunday was the day on august august 27th uh 2023 and it's yeah kind of crazy where um things are now with aw regardless how you feel regardless how you feel about aw where it's positive negative um indifferent um, this was kind of a big day for AEW. It was like the, the big litmus test on how they were going to do in their first ever stadium show. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of this um, this show, AEW All In 2023. Uh, before we do, a little bit of housekeeping per sorts. Um, it's going to be a big loaded week here on Very Cold Lasagna. Uh, so make sure you follow the show on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Very Cold Lasagna to stay up to date on what's going on with the show and you know catch all my random random extra takes on twitter as well and if you're listening to the show on audio make sure you leave a review and rate the show however you want to rate it uh, your feedback means the world to me and if you're watching this on youtube make sure you click the like button smash the subscribe button and leave a comment with your own takes or your just your feedback on very cold lasagna and with the content coming up for the next the next few weeks, well, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, this coming week, it's a lot of wrestling content. <laughs> it really is a lot. Um, aside from reviewing this this pay per view all in, I uh, got another uh, retro review coming up for you guys. Actually, two of them, including uh, later on this week, and another one on Saturday before payback. And speaking of payback, we're also going to be reviewing that pay per view. And well. As well, as well as All Out, AEW All Out. So a lot of content coming up in the next coming week here on Vericle Lasagna. And then after All Out, we're going to be beginning the, the NFL regular season. So we're going to be previewing week one of the NFL season. So yeah, definitely a lot on my plate, a lot on your plate. But I'm going to do my damnest to get it all for you. So yeah, grab that. A very cold lasagna in the in the coldest fridge that you have and yeah sit back relax and enjoy the ride so with that being said let's now talk about all in 2023 so like i said this is kind of like the spiritual successor to the first ever all-in event that was produced by cody rhodes and the young bucks uh, back in 2018 in chicago illinois 
Um, it was uh, kind of a success. It was a pretty successful event for them. And a couple months later, it led to the formation of AEW. So this event, uh, the new All In for that happened this past Sunday, it was planned several months prior, and then officially announced by Tony Khan back in April. And everyone was excited about it. Everyone was giddy about it because this was the first stadium show for AEW. And which stadium was it going to be in? Well, London, England in Wembley Stadium. So <clears throat> this show was titled All in London at Wembley Stadium. So this was kind of like the first uh, event set for professional wrestling, like the first stadium event since SummerSlam 1992. So it's it was kind of a big deal, um, not just for pro wrestling, but a big deal for AEW because, like I said, countless times right now, that this is their first ever uh, stadium show, and yeah, it was also a big test for them. And then when when tickets went on sale, it like it was kind of like a a, a sell a sellout or so. It sold out, I guess. And then by the time you get the showtime, they they had eighty thousand tickets. However, you want to get into the debate, paid, distributed. They 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 managed to have like an eighty thousand. Um, 80,000 fans in attendance. So that was the final number. 81, around 81,035 uh, fans in attendance. Now, to note, um, you know, there's just been this constant debate among fans, whether you're anti-AEW, pro-AEW, like you're in the middle, casual, hardcore fans, um, all if you care so much about like seats and all that. I mean, I personally don't really give a shit uh, myself, but I mean, I'm just pointing out the things that have been surrounding this event. So there's been that constant debate of like the actual number of tickets sold and distributed and whatnot, um, because, you know, maybe AEW did inflate their numbers or maybe that's the actual number they got because, you know, WWE often inflates their ticket numbers, but who knows? I don't know. Either way, that's been the constant debate going on with this around the show. And then also happening around the show was kind of like the buildup towards um, All In uh, for 2023. You know, for as big of a show as this this should feel like, you know, you know, I, I would check in to see how AEW is doing every now and then. But I got to say, you know, the buildup other than one match was kind of very disappointing. Uh, to say the least, you'd think that, sure, um, a couple of injuries here, a couple of injuries played a role in it, but the buildup for this, your first ever stadium show, if you're AEW, has been very disappointing. It's like, you, sh you sh they should have been building towards this after Double or Nothing, and yet a lot of the card was built by August. It's They're doing the WWE route. They built, they wait till either four weeks out till WrestleMania or maybe even like two or a week before WrestleMania to get a match on there. It, it's like AW. If you want to like differentiate yourself from WWE, then you can't be doing that kind of bullshit that they're doing too. It's like you have to build up your matches well more in advance. And this is coming from one of your biggest critics of AW. You have to like build these up well in advance, and yet, in, in recent like in recent months, they have in recent pay per views they haven't been doing that. They've just been like, oh, cramming 
um, these stories as as close to the pay-per-view as possible. And for their biggest show ever, they, they did it again. And it also doesn't help the fact that All Out is literally a, the week after All In, which hurts it even more. It also hurts All Out because you didn't build towards that show. So what, what the hell are you doing? So anyway, uh, you now get to the to the show itself. You know, you have around 81,000 fans. Um, you have around 11 matches, including Zero Hour, the pre-show. So let's talk about this show, shall we? Let's talk about Zero Hour, what happened on this on this show, with the pre-show, for that matter. So on the, on the Zero Hour pre-show, you had the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, Aussie Open, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher, that's their names, going up against... Um, one of the interesting stories going on, probably the second most interesting story, um, going on in professional wrestling other than the bloodline, MJF and Adam Cole, better than you, baby. Basically what's going on with this match is mainly centered around Adam Cole and MJF because, you know, the AEW world champion MJF and Adam Cole had this rivalry going on, um, ever since I think is on June when they fought to a draw on dynamite and MJF didn't want to go an extra five minutes. And then afterwards they were paired in this blind eliminator tag team tournament to determine FTR's uh, opponents on an episode of collision the next month. And then it was during this time when they're prepping for the tournament and then starting and winning matches in the tournament, they initially started out as rivals and then eventually they would become actual good friends. Like MJF wasn't wasn't bullshitting. He would actually legit be genuine friends with Adam Cole. And then Adam Cole would kind of feel the same way. So <laughs> you had a lot of these crazy ass segments like uh, MJF and Adam Cole going to Outback Steakhouse and doing a MJF doing a kangaroo kick. <laughs> and oh man, those segments were pretty, pretty crazy. And I, it, it, it was like, one in this in less than two months, it's like freaking wild. And then you had them test their friendship, and uh, after they lost the titles, and yeah, that that, that was some. That, that that's actually one of the strongest strongest stories that AEW has told, if not the strongest that I've seen. So even though they lost that tag team title match, you know, MJF would give Cole the the world well the world title match after he promised such. Um, when the whole tournament started. So that would be your main event. But what what does the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions have to do with this? Well, Adam Cole felt like him and MGF could still be a championship tag team. And then they so they challenged Aussie Open, the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, to this match on the pre-show, which they accepted. So, you know, over the course of August, and then, of course, you had earlier in July... Um, both men, you know, they were teasing who would turn on the other heading into both this match and the main event. And, you know, initially I would think that someone's going to turn. I mean, I personally thought it was going to be Adam Cole that was going to turn on MJF because personally I was from the little clips I saw on Twitter. MJF is kind of grown on me as a, as a baby face. Like we've seen how much he has done already as a, as a bastard heel. So, yeah, why not try? Why not give him a shot at being a like a babyface for a long while? So it's a refreshing change of pace. So this match was fun. 
<laughs> it was a it was a short yet very simple and fun tag team match. It showcased just how silly and good this unexpected MJF and Adam Cole tag team has been. You know, sure, you had Aussie Open attack the odd couple before um they did the boom um in their entrance uh in their entrance or the Adam Cole Bay Bay uh thing that they do. So uh, MJF was getting attacked by the Aussie Open for a while, but then Adam Cole, um, you know, got in the hot tag, and then later on, uh, later on, MJF, you know, he wanted he was kind of hesitant to do a dive, you know, like a suicide dive, and then Adam Cole, you know, he tried to encourage him, and so did the crowd, and then you know MJF wanted to do it, but then uh, Aussie Open, uh, you know, they attacked him before they could do it, um, but. You know, they, they encountered some friendly fire, um, Aussie Open, and MJF, you know, after weeks of, you know, trying to pull it off, he did the kangaroo kick. <laughs> he did the actual kangaroo kick. <laughs> he, like, double kicked them. He double kangaroo kicked them. Uh, and then Adam Cole and MJF actually hit the double clothesline. Double clothesline <laughs> on Kyle Fletcher to actually win. They actually won the, the Ring of Honor tag team titles. No bullshit. I was like, wow. I thought either one of them was going to turn. Um, I thought it was going to be Adam Cole. That was going to turn in the, the pre-show. But no, they actually won the tag team titles. Um, so I, I, I actually like that. Actually, I actually liked that they didn't turn um, in, in the title match, in this tag title match. Maybe it was being saved for later on, but this was fun. This is a fun way to start the show, uh, the pre-show at least. So now you had the FTW champion Jack Perry take on Hook. Jack Perry was kind of like in this new heel gimmick. Uh, so he's not doing the Jungle Boy uh, Jack uh, stuff anymore. And he was like in the, in this heel gimmick. Um, so I don't know really know what's going on uh, with Jack Perry. I haven't really caught up with uh, <laughs> his new gimmick. But I do know he uh, when I saw his entrance... He's driving to like Beethoven's music now. I don't know why. And he's like in a suit. Uh, but I saw a promo as a heel. It's like, oh God, it's terrible. So anyway, he came into a limo and, you know, I hope he's paying for that because he just, just stepped on it, like leaving all those footmarks, like dude. <laughs> and then later on, because, you know, I think it was under FTW rules. So I think that means like, you know, no rules, false count anywhere. And... Yeah, Hook hit a fisherman suplex on Jack Perry, and he landed on the windshield. So it's like, yeah, I hope he's paying for that. <laughs> I hope Jack uh, Jack Perry's paying for that. And then, yeah, the finish saw uh, Hook lock in the Taz mission on Jungle Boy Jack. Uh, no, not Jungle Boy Jack anymore. It's Jack Perry, um, and Jack Perry tapped out to regain the FTW title. So, yeah. I mean, this match was... Uh, it, it, it was whatever. I mean, I didn't really care for it because, uh, I mean, I'm not too invested in either one of these guys. But, I mean, it had some early cool moments. But, I mean, there was something that did happen to, to Jack Perry for the wrong reasons, though. Uh, behind the scenes, apparently what was going on with Jack Perry um, during All In is that, reportedly, he, he was in this backstage backstage brawl with CM Punk. I mean, of course, CM Punk has to get into some shit, but there are a lot of conflicting reports on who started the on who started this fight and 
what caused this fight. Um, there's the the initial report stated that um, Jack Perry instigated it um, because they didn't want to do this glass spot on an episode of Collision like months ago. I don't know. And then CM Punk like choked him out and then Samoa Joe denied it. Um, I don't know. Either way, it's just like this whole mess. It's really this whole mess that uh, I don't know why Tony Khan can't solve. Like he's like running like a high school locker room. He really needs to get someone under control uh, to get these guys under control. Or if if he, for whatever reason he can't, I don't know why you just can't fire CM Punk. Like he, he he doesn't draw in the ratings that you think he does. He doesn't draw the interest that people think uh, that people think he does anymore. And we'll talk about CM Punk in a bit, but I'm just saying like he. He is a cancer. He is a cancer to the locker room. Um, whether he starts fights, whether he he starts beef or doesn't, he he is clearly a problem in the locker room. Now, I'm not saying Jack Perry is going to be slit. I'm going to let him slide for what he did because clearly from what I've seen on, on, on Twitter and stuff, yeah, he clearly had an issue, had an issue with something and Clearly, he's not off the hook. So both sides are in the wrong. So whatever's going on, whether they're suspended or fired, um, Tony Khan needs to get this whole thing under control because this has been going on for almost a year now. We're almost at the one-year point of CM Punk's stupid bullshit from All Out last year. And this has clearly not been resolved. So I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't know what Tony Khan's going to do because if he doesn't do something, this is going to lead to a lot of turmoil. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to say it's going to lead to the downfall of AEW because that would be a little bit too drastic, even though I kind of said that in the past, which would be kind of contradicting myself. But he, all I can say is he's got to get this locker room under control. He needs to get that testicular fortitude. If he can't do it, then his dad, then I think he needs to get it. I think his dad needs to step in. Get Shahid Khan. Whether he knows professional wrestling or not. He needs to step in and get this shit under control. So anyway, we then we get to the main card. The the actual show itself. Um, so people are now filed in. Um, all those 81,000 people. There's still a little bit of daylight in London, mate. But yeah, the atmosphere. You know, it's still it's pretty, pretty good. Um, even though it's a lot of hardcore smarky fans in there, but nonetheless, you know, kind of a big accomplishment for AEW. So you kick off the show with the real world champion CM Punk going up against Samoa Joe. So staying on the topic of CM Punk, you know, he made his return on the debut episode of Collision after, you know, the All Out Media Scrum, and then he suffered an injury um, at that same event, and then. Weeks later, after he returned from at Collision, he barely defeated longtime rival Samoa Joe um, for the first time in his career during the Owen Hart uh, Cup tournament. So about a month later, Samoa Joe challenged CM Punk to a rematch for whatever reason. And while Punk didn't initially answer the challenge, um, Joe would kind of like go after him um, during a match that Punk had on Collision. And then Punk would retaliate um, to accept that challenge. So, 
we had this match. I mean, I thought it was a decent match. Um, that was pretty much dominated um, by Samoa Joe and pretty much all facets. Like he was like out racing and out wrestling uh, CM Punk. It looked pretty clear that from CM Punk's standpoint that once we got to the back half of this match, that he could not do, he could not keep up with Samoa Joe. There were a couple of spots in this match that he was trying to set up, but it's like he couldn't. And he was when Samoa Joe was trying to lit, uh, lit, uh, do some some spots himself for CM Punk. It's just like can't pull it off for whatever for reason. So there were a couple of uh, nice spots here that I liked. You know the meme with Samoa Joe uh, just casually walking out of a diving move from his opponent. Um, but CM Punk uh, waited for the meme to happen, and then he hit a hurricanrana on Joe that sent him outside. But then he, Samoa Joe was able to do the meme <laughs> and, as CM Punk tried to do a springboard dive um, uh, to the outside on Punk. And then that's why they did the meme. So and this was kind of a unique move. Uh, Samoa Joe sent CM Punk through the bottom of the announce table. I didn't know the announce table was made of solid uh, wooden, t <laughs> solid wood. So you can break that now. And that busted CM Punk open. So that's kind of interesting. And then you had CM Punk doing a John Cena comeback uh, because I guess he's one of his best rivals, I guess. And then before he could do the five knuckle shuffle to pander to all the UK fans, he stopped short and instead did a Hulk Hogan uh, leg drop, which led to Samoa Joe hulking up brother because that wasn't going to work for me, brother. But in the end, Samoa Joe um, tried to do the muscle buster, but Punk countered it into a top rope Pepsi plunge, which looked like a pedigree to me. Uh, so he retained the real world championship. Um, and yeah, I wonder, I thought I initially wondered if this was going to lead to uh, CM Punk challenging whoever was going to win the main event uh, of the night to a, to a unification match at All Out. But, you know, clearly with all the once again drama that's going on backstage with punk and now jack perry it looks like that's not going to happen um at all out so our second matchup of the night we had the golden elite oh ladies and gentlemen oh get your your golden whatever you got in in, in your beds it's kota abushi he's teaming up with kenny omega and hangman adam page going up against bullet club gold and kona Konosuke, take a shit. -a. Yeah, take a shit. This looked basically like, um, what was it? Uh, the NWO Silver going up against NWO Wolfpack. It's just the lamer version of that. <laughs> so I, I was so bored of this match. Like it was basically your your typical flips, kicks, all your bullshit kind of match. It, and it's honestly pretty hard to get invested in in a match where there's not much of a story involved. And yeah, you can, I'll admit to myself, like even when looking at the video package and you know, kudos to AEW for at least showing a video package, but even the video package didn't show that. Yeah, there's no story. It's just like Don Callis trying to get rid of Kenny Omega from his life forever. Like that's it. <laughs> that's all. Um, what, what, what's the point? What, what, where's the, do you have any more story layers there? So there wasn't really a lot going on in this match other than your typical spot orgies. Um, 
But I guess Hangman and Adam Page and Kota Ibushi, you know, took turns on hot tags, beating up on Jay, uh, beating up on Jay White, um, and then the the guns, uh, Colton Austin. I don't know why they were there, um, helping out uh, Bullet Club Gold and take a shit, uh, but. Adam Page, you know, took them out with the moonsault. And then everyone was hitting a bunch of moves on each other in the ring because, you know, you had to have that in your standard AW six-man tag. I mean, WWE does that too, by the way. Um, and then when it came down to Kenny Omega, uh, he hit a bunch of V-trigger knees on both Jay White and Juice Robinson. But then when he was about to go for the one-winged angel on one of those guys, Takashita uh, used the deadly fruit roll-up. Yeah, he used a fruit roll-up. From behind to steal the win for his team. So, wow. Um, I mean, the, I, I think the finish was not bad. I mean, it certainly created a, like a it, a, a, win, a pin drop. It was like everyone was so excited for Kenny Omega to win the match. Like, oh, my beautiful Kenny. And then suddenly out of nowhere, this take a shit, take a shit guy. Um, he, he used the deadly fruit roll up like it was a an applesauce uh, blueberry flavor and steals the win and everyone just goes dead silent. Like they just got their, their golden candy, their golden ticket from Willy Wonka taken away from them. So now it's official that there's going to be a singles match between Omega and take a shit at all out. So at least they're at least following that up per se. So I mean, at least there's some story continuation. I'll give credit um, to AEW for that. But for this match, I did not like it. It was your usual, um, let's let's try to put in as much spots as possible kind of match. So our third matchup of the night, we had the AEW World Tag Team titles on the line as FTR, Dax Hardwood, and Cash Wheeler defended the titles against the Bucks of Suck, Matt and Nick Jackson. This was basically the, the, the third matchup between these two teams where... FTR would challenge the Bucks of Suck to a rubber match um, fall with the series tied at one apiece. I don't know why um, they did this match, but hey, you got to have something on the card, right? <laughs> so the Bucks first beat them at full gear in 2020 when the pandemic was still a thing. And then you had FTR beating them on, on an episode of Dynamite back last year. So yeah, you just had to settle the score, I guess. So, I mean... This was just about ex- expected from your usual Bucks of Suck match. I mean, when, for example, you know, both teams, you know, sure, they were even with one another. The FTR was trying to um, try to use, like, actual wrestling on the Bucks, but, you know, you had the Bucks take control and then use some of their stupid-ass flippy offense on Cash Wheeler for nearly half of the match. Um, but then you had... Uh, you had the pace quicken kind of, kind of quickly, as you know the two teams. You know they, they trade spike pile drivers on each other for like near falls, and then um, there's a little bit of a story element here where the Bucks kept miscommunicating with each other, like on a kick um, from, by Matt to Nick um, that allowed a hot tag, and then the Bucks trying to go for the BTE trigger, um, but they they hit their knees on one another, and then. That allowed FTR to hit the, the BTE against them. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, man. It was like your usual like your usual match with a lot of near falls. Um, but the finish saw the Bucks try to go for the Meltzer driver. Um, but Cash escaped out of it. And FTR caught Nick midair 
to hit the shatter machine to retain the tag team titles. So all I can say is that, you know, the super kick orgy was light. I'll give it that. But uh, the, the insane amount of near falls, the insane amount of flips were still present for no damn reason. Um, but I did like the finish. I liked the finish, though, with the mid-air shatter machine. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool spot. <laughs> I thought um, they were going to hit the Meltzer driver, but then um, I think it was Cash Wheeler that came in like out of nowhere after being like thrown out of the ring. And then he saved, um, I think it was uh, Dax, Dax Hardwood. And then, yeah, they, they caught Nick Jackson like mid-air. So that was pretty cool. But I was entertained by um, Jim Ross uh, <laughs> throughout the whole match. He was just giving smart-ass and sarcastic commentary on how great both of these teams were. And it's like, you know how you feel, JR. You know how you felt. Like, it's okay. It's okay to let your dirty laundry out. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Um, it's all right. So our fourth matchup of, of the evening in London, we had the... The third ever stadium stampede match. And the participants were the team of Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, the best friends, Chuck Taylor, Etret Breda, and Penta. El Zero, Miedo, going up against the Blackpool Combat Clubs, John Moxley, Claudio Castanoli, formerly known as Cesaro, Wheeler Utah Useless, and Santana and Ortiz. We haven't seen them in a while. In a stadium stampede match. Originally, this matchup was supposed to feature Ray Phoenix, um, Penta's partner, uh, but he was removed due to, I think it was travel issues or an injury, but he was written off on the AW Dynamite episode prior to All In. So this was actually the first stadium stampede match since the 2021 Double or Nothing. So it's been over two years since we last saw this match type. So it'd be interesting how creative um, they could get for this one. I mean, we've seen the kind of spiritual successor with anarchy in the arena um, with mixed results. So maybe they can get a little bit more creative with stadium stampede um, and Wembley. So there was a lot, obviously what there was a lot going on um, in this match. So I tried to narrow it down to the, the crazier stuff, the crazier stuff <laughs> that went on in this match. I mean, obviously you, you start things off with Eddie Kingston, just like, bone rushing the ring um, to, to start things off. And well, from there, it was just all chaos. And then, of course, it wouldn't be a John Moxley match with without him bleeding um, like literally just five minutes um, into the match. And that's exactly what happened. And when you had John Moxley in the ring, he, he emptied out a bag full of skewers. Like, what are we going to do? Cook some damn barbecue in the ring in front of 80,000 people? In Wembley. <laughs> but instead, uh, the skewers were used against him because Penta um, stabbed him in the forehead <laughs> like he was some he was some king. Like, like he was some, he looked like some damn king or something. And instead of like John Moxley cooking some damn barbecue, it was some barbecue chicken alert. It was barbecue chicken alert. Oh man, I got skewers stuck in my head. Oh man, that, that, that looks so gruesome. That looks so gruesome. It looked kind of cringe because <laughs> I don't know. That, that visual of him having all the skewers like stuck in his forehead, like getting stabbed in his forehead. It's like, oh man, dude. That's just, no. <laughs> I don't know, man. It, I, I didn't want to, I'm not going to say I almost threw up because obviously I didn't, but 
It, it just, ah, man. No, Moxley gotta chill on that on that stuff. It's like every week he does this kind of thing. Like at some point, it's gonna affect the long term. It really is. So anyway, um, Moxley, who is pretty much the central point of this match, by the way, he continued his love for blood. He made Orange Cassidy bleed with a fork that he keistered up his ass. No joke. He just suddenly had a fork that he pulled out his ass. And then he wrapped up Trent Beretta in barbed wire. So he's pretty much going out to make everyone bleed. You notice throughout this match that uh, Cesaro didn't bleed. Wheeler Useless didn't bleed. It's like, why weren't those guys allowed to bleed? <laughs> why didn't, they, why didn't the, um, the opposition make them bleed? Like, I don't know. Fucking marks. So then later on, much later on in the match, um, Sue, who is apparently the, fr- the mom of best friends or something, uh, came in her signature uh, white van and gave her sons uh, some weapons to fight back against the BBC on stage. And then Penta later came out. I don't know how or why he disappeared um, early in the match. So he's dressed in red now, um, and he looked to put Santana through two tables uh, near near the staging area. But then when they were fighting on the ladder, <laughs> the ladder like broke because Penta was standing on the wrong side of the on the the light, the the light, the side of the ladder that you normally don't stand on, like you know where it says "Don't stand on the side this side of the ladder." Yeah, you you're not supposed to stand there. You know, speaking of the ladders, it's like it looks like they got those ladders from like a Home Depot or something. They just spray painted it black. It's like very these, those were, these were very cheap ladders. But anyway, they eventually did the the spot with by by way of a sunset flip power bomb. And then Trent Beretta back in the ring, you know, he superplexed Ortiz through a, a table outside while Claudio or Cesaro did the giant swing on Orange Cassidy at the same time that was happening. And then Moxley, you know, as Orange Cassidy was gearing up for a broken glass filled orange punch or the Superman punch. Um, but he received a swirling DDT onto the remains of that broken glass from the beer bottle. And then Eddie Kingston because he has taken out a little bit earlier, like on the upper deck level. Um, he came back from the, from there, I guess. And he unleashed hell on Claudio. And then he drove John Moxley through the barbed wire board. And Orange Cassidy finished off Claudio Castanoli with the Superman punch with the glass filled hand to win the stadium stampede for his team. So there's a lot going on clearly during this match. And I gotta say, um, I thought this was solid. I thought this was, you know, there were some wild moments. But <clears throat> I got to say, you know, just like with Anarchy and the Arena, though, they were kind of creatively limited here. Um, I mean, sure, I don't want Eddie Kingston, for example, to, you know, fall off like 20 feet <laughs> like off the upper deck. No, I don't want that. I don't want him to die, okay? Um, and, of course, you can't have some, like, um, Premier League uh, soccer guy make a cameo, like a pre-recorded cameo or something, or like a live cameo. Um, it's just not feasible. I mean, um, and obviously, of course, you can't have Urban Meyer there because he's not the coach of the Jaguars, even though the Jaguars play their games in London sometimes. What I mean is, like, you know, you have to like find a way to make mostly full use of Wembley Stadium or whatever stadium you're, you're in if you're going to do the Stadium Stampede. I felt like this match 
you know, it felt me, it, it really made me feeling wanting more. There, there should have been at least some more spots for them to, to make me go, wow, this, this, this was, this could have been like so, so freaking wild. But it said, it just felt like anarchy in the arena and then felt like, um, yeah, it felt like the two, the last two anarchy in the arena matches. It just felt like meh. It just felt like meh. Especially with that, the backstory to, to support it. What made Stadium Stampede, uh, both of them so great is that, you know, you had uh, obviously the first one, the uniqueness of it, but the second one, um, even though the first one topped it, the second one was pretty good too, because, um, they made use of different environments in TIA bank field and introduce, like introduce different elements as well. And also having that store kind of story to, to back it up. But these these kind of matches since then it's like they're just doing it for the sake of it. So I feel like if they're gonna do this kind of matchup going forward, you gotta have some kind of story to it, like an actual story to it, and then get creative. They really gotta get creative with it if they're gonna present this in front of like twenty thousand or eighty thousand people. It, it just this match really left me wanting more. So next up, we had the AEW Women's World Championship match. Hikaru Shida defending her title in a four-way match against Tony Storm, England's own Soraya, formerly known as Paige, and Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Tony Storm lost her title to Hikaru Shida on the 200th episode of Dynamite. So Hikaru Shida, um, who had her first championship won during the pandemic, she kind of had a crowning moment um, with, with the fans on that 200th episode. So the next week um, after she won that, um, a four-way match was scheduled for for All in London, and the participants would be decided in a tournament. Um, Storm received a, a bye, so she was automatically in after she used a rematch clause. And then Sheeta, since she was already scheduled to defend her title against Anna Jay, she kept her spot by beating her. And then on Rampage, uh, Soraya, or Paige, beat Sky Blue, and then Rip Baker claimed the black spot by beating the bunny. So, I mean, this match was okay. Um, you know, Soraya, being from um, from England, she received the hero's welcome in her home country. So that that was pretty cool to see. And to top that, she was in front of 80,000 people in, in, in front of her home country. So that makes it even better for her, um, regardless of how me and my friend feel about her now. So anyway... Um, this matchup was pretty much all about the dissension in the outcasts. Um, so Rhea and Tony Storm, you know, initially treating this like a, a tag team match against Baker and Sheeta, but soon dissension uh, played a big factor when they had to pin Britt Baker early on, and that dissension continued with when they tried to double team uh, uh, so Tony on with and Tony Storm and Soraya tried to double team. Uh, Britt Baker, but then uh, Tony accidentally hit Soraya's, you know, the original Soraya. She accidentally hit her, and that got Paige all pissed. She got all mad, and then just when you think there's gonna be a mega powers explosion or a Jimmy Uso turning on Roman Reigns moment, the outcast exploded, brother. Although it was kind of meh, it was kind of meh. So Soraya and Tony fought each other, 
And then out comes Ruby Soho for all of 20 seconds. And she gets punched by Tony Storm. And then she leaves <laughs> like a fucking cameo. It's like, damn. You were all you're there for all of 20 seconds. Like, and you just get punched out. It's like, bye, bitch. So anyway, um, Soraya had Tony Storm locked in the Scorpion cross lock, but then Britt Baker curb stomps her um to break to break it for a near fall. And then the finish sees Hikaru Shida hitting her katana finisher on Soraya, like the like page. But Britt Baker like instantly rolls her into the lockjaw, but she can't seem to like, you know, finish the sequence by like trying to grab her her actual jaw, which completes the submission. So Britt was like fighting Sheeta to get that submission in. So while she was doing that, Soraya sprayed the green uh, sprayed that the outcast off the news on Tony Storm, and she hit the rampage or the what she calls the nightcap DDT now and. It was too late for Britt Baker to break up the three count. And yeah, in your in her home country, Soraya is the new women's world champion. So I think they were trying a little a little too hard with the dissension stuff with Soraya and Tony Storm. And don't get me wrong, I think the Soraya winning the title in her home country is nice and all. Um I just don't like the fact that you know this woman's woman's world title is basically hot potato right now. Uh, you know, since Jamie Hader pretty much lost the title because, you know, her injury um, back at double, um, and she had to basically drop the title because of her injury at double or nothing. It's gone to Tony Storm. It's gone to Hikaru Shida. And now it's gone to Soraya in just about three months. So Soraya, you know, ha- she hasn't done much of note either since returning from retirement. And her matches, you know, it hasn't really been that much of a hit other than her return match against Britt Baker. So it's very questionable as to why Tony Khan gave her this win other than home cooking. But, you know, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not that opposed to Soraya winning um, the title um, on home turf. But again, I question the booking of it. I'm questioning the booking of it. It's a nice moment, but I just question the booking of it. So next up, we had a coffin match. Darby Allen and Sting going up against Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage. So this matchup was originally supposed to feature uh, AR Fox teaming up with Swerve Strickland, but uh, on an episode of Dynamite 4, uh, he was kicked out of Swerve Strickland's team, the Mogul Embassy, whatever that is, after they lost a tornado tag team match to Darby Allen and his ment- his protege, Nick Wayne, whoever that is. So that that brought in Christian Cage to to help out Swerve Strickland. So that set up this match. So it benefited, though. It benefited, though, because, hey, you had two young lions. Rawr! <laughs> With Sting and Christian. So it definitely helped here. So you had some random-ass rappers um, coming out to rap Swerve Strickland's entrance. Their names were Flash Garments and DJ Woo Kid, whoever the fuck they are. Um, and meanwhile, for Sting and Darby Allen, they had this nice pre-entrance video package where Sting was wearing a top hat and half his uh, Joker Sting face paint from TNA. That was that was pretty cool to see. Um, and then you had them come out to Metallica's Seek and Destroy. Um, I wasn't aware that Sting used this as one of his old WCW theme songs until now. But, I mean, I'm more aware of Seek and Destroy with... You know, the San Jose Sharks hockey team, even though they're pretty bad right now. So, 
Yeah, just when you, like, like I said, early on, we were supposed to see the young lions roar uh, with, with Sting and, and Christian. But damn it, Sir Strickland, just the freaking asshole that he is, um, just had to break it all up and separate Sting from Christian. Like, come on, man. We want to see Sting and Christian. Not Sting get his butt whooped by Swerve Strickland. Damn you. <laughs> but anyway, um, much later on in the match, you know, they were about to lock Christian up in the casket. But then out came uh, the, the rightful TNT champion, Luchasaurus, uh, to stop them. So out came a vengeful Nick Wayne who got brutalized by uh, Swerve Strickland and, uh, weeks ago. To even the score, but then he got choke slammed on a skateboard by Luchasaurus, and then he got carried backstage, and then you never saw him again. So anyway, um, Sting and Darby Allen set up a coffin drop um, on the casket uh, for Swerve Strickland, but then Sting, for whatever reason, left um, instead of helping Darby Allen complete the complete the move. So Darby Allen, um, once he tried to do the coffin drop, it became a coffin flop. Um, and Swerve moved out of the way in the last second, and then Darby lost his back. So, yeah. And then Swerve Strickland, you know, they, they brought the, the casket to the ring. Um, they were going to put Sting in it, but then Sting blocked the, 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 the lid from closing with the bat that was provided by him by Swerve Strickland. Like, come on, man. <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, come on. Swerve, don't be that stupid. So, anyway. Um, Sting and Darby Allen would win this match uh, with Sting hitting the Scorpion Death Drop onto Swerve on the casket. And then Darby Allen finished him off by, once again, sacrificing his back, hitting a coffin drop on the bare casket. And then that knocked out Swerve and allowed them to close the lid for the win. So, you know, I thought this match was kind of fun. Um, some, some pretty crazy spots. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to mention... Sting tried to put Swerve Strickland through a table um, early on, but <laughs> damn it, that's that table was made of real solid steel. Damn it, it didn't want to break through. So Sting had to do the spot again, and then it had it broke the second time. So it's like not even the table wanted to give way for the young lion, the Stinger. But anyway, um, I I I liked how they brought in the casket. I didn't really see that um before. So it was kind of like a refreshing change of pace other than, you know, let's just put them in. Let's just try to roll them inside. So, yeah, it was a pretty fun. It was a pretty fun match. I just wonder what happened to that uh, Nick Wayne guy afterwards. Did he get um, dragged into the shower or something? <laughs> Did he, uh, um, you know, get, uh, you know, to by Luchasaurus? You know, let's, I don't know. Maybe let's not think about those thoughts. So next matchup, we had Will Ospreay or Will Ospreay um, going up against Chris Jericho. I'm not sure why this match was happening, but um, let's just assume that this is a match with no story. So Chris Jericho announced beforehand that he was going to sing his theme song, Judas, live in front of the Wembley crowd. And I thought it was a pretty good uh, rendition of, of his song that he sang uh, for himself. I just thought that he would have sang... Until the second second chorus, like after you know they sang Judas in Judas in my mind, I thought it would continue from there. But I guess they could only go for like a minute and a half. I guess. So then you had Will Asprey come out. Um, and I gotta say, you know, his theme song is kind of cool. 
Um, this is kind of like my first time watching a Will Asprey match. Um, but man, it's like he took a very brutal uh, German's uh, apron German suplex spot. Um, he landed hard on his neck, um, and he was like clutching his neck. Is not just his neck, but he was like clutching his arm. He was like shaking it. It was like, yeah, this is why you're not gonna last um, so all that long in wrestling. Maybe he's just selling, but it's like even then, it's like you're doing all these spots unnecessarily, like all these dangerous, stupid spots. But I mean, it didn't seem to affect him as he seemed to hit like his signature offense still. Um, once once he got back in the ring, but man, Jericho was pretty off in this match. Like he seemed to miss the timing on a midair code breaker um, because he hit Osprey's back, so he had to do it again on the ground for a near fall. And then once you get once you get later on to the match, you know Jericho reversed the Stormbreaker, um, well Osprey's finisher into the walls of Jericho, um, which. You know, he powered out of, despite Sammy Guevara briefly knocking him out um, behind the referee's back. And then Jericho hit a, a very sloppy os cutter, Will Ospreay's signature move, for a near fall. Like, he hit the os, the os cutter, but he landed on his back before he completed finishing the move. And then, yeah, he hit Judas Effect for another near fall. But in the end, Will Ospreay hit the hidden blade um, and the Stormbreaker finisher on Jericho to win the match. So, clearly, as the match progressed, Osprey outclassed and outpaced Jericho. I mean, granted, Jericho is much older than, um, uh, much older than Osprey, but it is just like Jericho could not slow him down, like at all. It was like, I mean, I, I respect that what Jericho has done, but it's just like, dude. Like, this is not what you should be doing. Um, like, against guys that are clearly outpacing you. Um, but, I mean, it's like these these guys that are often relying on, like, all these indie spots, all these gimmickless, like, unnecessary risks. And yet, yeah, you're telling them to slow it down, and yet you can't keep up with them. I don't know, man. I just felt like Jericho looked sloppy, botched a good amount of big moves. I mean... He, he had some nice moves, though, sometimes, but it's just like, yeah, the sloppy ones, I just can't over, um, look, they don't outweigh the good ones. But, I mean, for Will Ospreay, I mean, he was decent. He was he was decent in this match. Um, um, I mean, I was kind of, like, kind of just waiting for the match to end, but what they do with Chris Jericho from here, it's anyone's guess um, because, well, I mean, he, he did push away Sammy, Sammy Guevara after the match, so... Maybe they slowly burn towards a feud between the two. I don't know. Either way, Will Ospreay is your winner between uh, him and Chris Jericho. So they, like I said, they announced the attendance for All In. Um, after this, Nigel McGuinness was in the ring to announce the official attendance for for tonight, and it was eighty one thousand thirty five fans, um, which they claimed was a new worldwide paid attendance record for pro wrestling uh, for a pro wrestling event. So. I mean, make that for what you will. Um, I'm not going to get into that whole debate on paid versus distributed, but I mean, they were showing a good amount of tarps. They're showing an amount of good amount of closed sections, uh, closed seats, um, like very openly. Um, every time they kept cutting through the crowd, every time they kept doing panning shots, um, <laughs> wide panning wide shots. So I mean, 
again, you know, good for them that they managed to um, get that many amount of fans there. Granted, they're not casual fans or like, you know, non-wrestling fans there. So we'll see if that number holds up. We'll see if that number holds up. So next up, uh, before the main event, we had the AEW trios titles on the line. The House of Black, Malachi, Buddy Matthews, and Brody King taking on the acclaimed Max Caster, Anthony Bowens, and badass Billy Gunn. The acclaimed, you know, they have been climbing the, the trios division since back in March, late March. But when they first, these two teams first faced off, um, back at double or nothing, the House of Black just thoroughly dominated them. And I was pretty disappointed that, you know, they claimed lost that match and then they would lose the rematch two months later. And then afterwards, Billy Gunn, you know, he was teasing retirement by leaving his boots in the ring for Max Caster and Anthony Bowens. And then two weeks later, before All In, you know, the claims were just brutally beaten and bloodied by the House of Black. But then the next week, Billy Gunn returned to set up this trios match, the three match between them and the acclaimed. So, yeah, I was hoping this time around that the acclaimed finally get the win. I just was hoping that they didn't get swept, just like Jey Uso did. <laughs> don't pull a Jey Uso. Oh, don't pull a Jey Uso on the acclaimed. So anyway, you know the House of Black they had a nice tribute um, to Bray Wyatt. You know, with the lantern um, in the fireflies with, by the fans. I thought that was a very touching tribute to them. Meanwhile, you had Max Caster and the Acclaim come out. Um, everyone was all excited for the Acclaim because, you know, everybody loves the Acclaimed. Um, so for his rap, um, there were a lot of things I really didn't understand in this one. Um, but still, he threw in a Harry Potter reference in there. So that was something. Um, but there would unfortunately be no scissoring of the daddy ass as, you know, badass Billy Gunn was on the scene. And unlike the last two matches where the acclaimed um, rejected the wild card rule um, as uh, traditionary of the House of Blacks' house rules where um, the opponent could pick the stipulation, they decided to elect it this time by picking the stipulation of no holds barred. Now, you know, they, they could have done something different like ladder or TLC or, I don't know, cage match or something like that. But, you know, this was this was not bad. Uh, uh, no holes barred match was not bad. And things, you know, as expected, got chaotic pretty early on. You know, Billy Gunn, they tried, he tried to do a dive out of the ring, but he was often stopped by all the members of the House of Black, which included <laughs> Julia Hart. So Julia actually got in the ring um, while the acclaimed in the House of Black were getting, uh, were, were getting beat up by... Um, by the rest of the House of Black, she slapped Billy Gunn, and that's what Billy Gunn decided to do. Rather than just take it, take it like you know how in WWE, the men just have to take it for Rhea Ripley. Billy Gunn, because you know he, taking it back to his DX days, she wants her to suck it. <laughs> or I think she said suck my dick, and then <laughs> she put she put her down, and then what? <laughs> Oh man, this was this is great. <laughs> it was great. And then Max Caster came in, helped him out, and then in came Anthony Bowens. And then scissoring timbers. Anthony Bowens in the acclaimed scissored Julia Hart in front of 80,000 people. It was awesome. 
It was the greatest scissoring ever. They, they get. It, it, it was awesome. It was, it was so damn good. It's like when I first saw that, I contained myself for like a good five minutes. It's like I had to, I had to go outside. I had to like calm down because it was that, it was that damn hilarious. It's like, it's what it's one thing that the that alien was, does the the scissor me timbers to dudes, but then he actually the the because he's you know he's he's gay in real life. Now he does it too, Julia. That's so that was awesome. That was so awesome. Oh my god! So like, forget all these sensitive like bitches out there that think oh this wasn't this wasn't cool this was this was why'd they do this spot this was great this was this was funny as hell. So for, so fuck all y'all that thinks this was a bad spot. This was funny. This is comment. This was this this fit with their this fit with their gimmick. So oh man, we we still have this rest of this match to talk about. Uh, anyway, let me try to contain myself because, oh man. Anyway, um, later on in the match, uh, you know, Brody King tried to use the chain that the House of Black used to bleed out Max Caster um, two weeks ago. Um, this time they were going to use it on Anthony Bowens, but he accidentally hit his partner, uh, Malachi Black. So the acclaimed hit a trio of famousers on Buddy Matthews, but then Julia Hart seemingly recovered from the scissoring. Uh, you, you know she liked that. Uh, she received, and she pulled Aubrey Edwards out to stop the count, um, and then Malachi Black you know, hit, hit the black mask on Billy Gunn, and just when you thought, like, damn it, they're going to get the clean sweep. They're going to pull a Jey They're going to pull a Roman Reigns on Jey Uso, aren't they? So they're going to get the clean sweep, but then Billy Gunn, to the delight of the London crowd, he kicked out. The daddy ass had some life in him. And then after knocking out Malachi, after knocking out Buddy, the acclaimed took out Brody with their best shots. The famous sir. The arrival twice. And then a second mic drop from Max Caster. One, two, three. The acclaimed are finally back as champions. The new... Trios tag team champions. So they were they were awarded the titles by the House of Black. Um seemingly, you know, they got some of their respect. And then they acclaimed. And Billy Gunn went on to have the as they prom as Anthony Bones promised, the biggest scissoring party on earth. Oh, and by the way, uh they randomly cut to Sasha ben, uh, Mercedes Monet. Uh, who is in attendance for some damn reason, but that's besides the point. The acclaimed back on top. And I gotta say, this match was so fun. This match was like fun as hell. Um, and that's just not me being biased towards the acclaim. But this I I know I was upset like with the acclaimed losing at double or nothing and disappointed that they lost at collision. But I guess they were just saving it for the bigger moment. The bigger moment at all in, um, and this was this was it. Even if the heat and the popularity, you know, it's not what it once was um, for Max Caster and Anthony Bowens. Hey, along with the many others, I still rock with the acclaimed. I still, I still love the acclaimed. I still like their stick. 
um, except for the scissoring stuff. I mean, let's <laughs> just do it because I was like excited as all hell. Because Max Caster's mic work is good. Anthony Bowens, you know, he brings out a lot of energy and charisma. And then you have a veteran like Daddy Ass, uh, Billy Gunn, to like kind of be like their mentor towards uh, for them. This trio's match was fun, perhaps, and provided perhaps one of the funniest moments of the night and one of my favorite AEW moments. If they're like the very few, this was just one. This was one of them. <laughs> that was awesome. That was like, so unexpected and so awesome. And this is just a very nice payoff to a story that started back in April. And yeah, the acclaimed are back on top as trios champions. Like very, very deserved, very earned. And I know some people wanted the House of Black to retain, but honestly, like, um, you know, they were they were they were getting stale um as as champions. And sure, people are saying, Oh, what about their story? I mean, they could certainly do it without the titles, maybe. Um, maybe they can like rebuild themselves up and then if they want to get, get it back from the acclaimed or wherever the trios champions are, maybe they can do that. But either way, the, the bigger story was the acclaimed finally gained the trios titles, uh, for, for Billy Gunn. So very happy, very, very happy. <laughs> so now you have your main event of all in London, 2023 Wembley stadium, AW's biggest event. The world championship on the line, Maxwell Jacob Friedman going up against Adam Cole. The two already competed earlier on in the night, um, winning the Ring of Honor tag team titles, and now they're in the main event competing as opponents. So, yeah, this is definitely big. Um, regardless, you know, again, regardless how you feel about AEW, this is kind of a big deal for for them. You know, nobody expected Adam Cole um, to be in the main event of any particular like major stadium event and you know regardless of my feelings about adam cole i still think he's kind of like you know that not atypical not, not really typical um wrestler i think you know with this story with mjf he 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 shows that with the with character with with some character development hey he's not bad he i think he can be pretty all he can be likable and then obviously mjf with his new baby face baby face run you know, it really has grown on me. So now we get to this match and it's clear, you know, things, you know, are initially friendly. They even like go under the ring and grab their tag team shirts that they're wearing that better than you, baby. Then, you know, they, they wear it. They get friendly with one another, but then MJF pokes Adam Cole in the eye and then Cole slaps him back and then it gets more heated so it becomes clear later uh, throughout the match that Cole is playing playing the heel. He's playing the villain because the more the match goes on, people are cheering for MJF like even louder. So Cole uh, has to play the heel. He gets more aggressive, and then he even tears off MJF's shirt um, while MJF was still like you know trying to go through, uh, try to pander through the crowd. And, you know, trying to be, like, friendly towards Adam Cole. You even had MJF going through a babyface comeback, like, uh, trying to rally. And, you know, what? while he initially, again, still hesitant, trying to do a suicide dive, yet he got encouraged by the crowd. And he actually did it. <laughs> he actually did it. And he was so surprised, like, wow, I did it. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was such a cool moment. So then you had a lot, you had this first initial like test. And this first, and it, like the whole story about this match was like, um, should I or shouldn't I in for, for in the face of, in the face of friendship because the championship was on the line, but at the same time, so was the friendship. So Adam Cole, you know, he was getting more and more aggressive, more and more desperate to win the title. But then he would drop MJF on the steel steps with a suplex brain buster or some kind of move. But then that knocked out MJF. So Adam Cole, you know, he was kind of like waiting the ring for whatever reason, even though you couldn't win the, the title on a, on a count out. And then MJF, you know, he beats the 10 count. So the, now once you go back to the outside and then MJF looked like he was going to hit a tombstone pile driver on Cole on the announce table, but then he lets go of Ad, Adam Cole and he's like, I, I can't do like he initially thinks I'm going to, I have to do this for the championship, but then he dropped, he just drops him and it's like, no, I, I, I don't want to do it. And then, then that allows Adam Cole to use the tombstone against him. He, he does it, but then he only gets a near fall. So yeah, it's like um, this match has pretty much become like a should I or shouldn't I kind of thing between both guys. It's like a, a big test of like what 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 who's gonna turn, who's gonna make that big turn on the other, and then just when you think the match is gonna get really interesting, it suddenly ends. They call for the double clothesline, and then they hit it on each other, and that bo- knocks both of them out. And the referee, uh, Rice Bungver, whatever its name is, he counts them both into a draw. So, um, Justin Roberts says this match is a draw. And just like how things ended the first time, Adam Cole once again asks, no, I want five more minutes. But MJF says no. But he says no because five more minutes isn't enough for a fucking winner at Wembley. So, they're going to go until... There's a definitive winner. So MJF actually wants to go until they decide, until there's a definitive winner. So the match restarts, and then you have MJF and Adam Cole playing hot potato with the chair. MJF brought to the ring, and then they both tried to do their best Eddie Guerrero impersonation. And I think MJF nearly pulled it off. It's like um, MJF, you know, he wrapped the steel chair in his head, and he just like, he just laid down. <laughs> and Adam Cole's just like, what the fuck? What do I do? And then the referee almost disqualified him. It's like, no, no, I didn't do that. He did that. And then he got fruit rolled up for a near fall. That was cool. That was, that was, that was honestly good. At, that was actually pretty solid acting from MJF. I like that. So the referee was knocked out again um, by Adam Cole. And then MJF, you know, he grabbed the dynamite ring he had in his trunks. But then... Just when he thought, just when he thought he was going to use it, he was going to turn. He can't do it. He, he, once again, that conflict um, that MJF has, he's like, he wants to, he, that inner devil in him wants him to do it, but he he can't bring himself to do it. But then the match takes its real first turn when Roderick Strong, you know, Adam Cole's undisputed era friend, appeared and kicked, kicked MJF in the dick, and Adam Cole hits the Panama Sunrise. In the last shot knee, like, you know, his bare knee. But, you know, the referee, still trying to wake up, takes his sweet time, and that allows MJF to kick out. So, if the referee was come to, Adam Cole probably would have won. So, Roderick Stong, 
you know, he told Adam Cole to hit MJF with the AEW world title because he was his friend, not MJF. So Adam Cole, you know, he looked ready to do so. He was ready to hit his supposed new friend with the AEW world title. But he like with MJF, he can't do it. He 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 threw out the belt and then he told Roger Strong to go away. And then while Adam Cole won the moral battle, he lost the war at hand because MJF used the deadly fruit roll-up, taint uh tasty full of let's use strawberries, uh, to retain the AEW title in the main event of all in London. So yeah, MJF is still your your AEW world champion. And then, you know, I thought this ma- match, you know, some people may call it overbooked and not enough action, but I got to say, you know, this was one of my favorite AEW matches when it's all said and done because what is very important about this match was the story going in. And yeah, it's like, even though it's like a two-month story, but this was a one AEW's, I, I got to say it, I got to admit it. This is perhaps one of their strongest told stories, like that they're doing a very good job of. Um, I, I'll give credit where credit is due with this story. Um, a story told back in June, um, both Adam Cole and MGF, you know, developing this this um, crazy yet strange friendship um, that actually has turned MGF into a legit babyface. So, as such, you know, when MGF you know gave Hold the title match. You knew there's either one or the other was going to turn. And then, then that match, this match brought a lot of those dramatic elements into play. It put the, the new friendship at, to the biggest test yet. Especially, you know, when you had Roderick Strong come into play. You know, telling, warning Adam Cole beforehand that he's going to turn on you. And then, you know, MJF also having that sign that maybe Adam Cole's going to turn on me too. So, yeah. It, it, this was like a very interesting match. I real like sure you could call it, and some of it overbooked. I mean, hell, I mean, I mean, willing to admit that the bloodline thing is a little bit overbooked. Some Roman's matches, but what made this like really, really good, really good for me was that there the all the story elements in this match, and yeah. Like the action, like some people say the action, you know, but it was all about the the beginning, middle and end and all the conflict involved that, yeah, I thought this match was really, was really enjoyable, was really, was like, it was like a nice and really nice adventure when it was all said and done. And then you had the, the post-match, uh, you had the post-match, you know, MJF, he tried to comfort Cole Telling him that, you know, despite the result, you know, they're still friends. They still loved you. The fans still loved you. Um, they're still Ring of Honor tag team champions. But Cole was just mad. He didn't he didn't want to do he didn't care about that. He even threw away the belts. And then MJF, he he got angry. <laughs> he was mad. <clears throat> Cole didn't he he assumed that Cole didn't care about their friendship. It's kind of like a mirror image of Last month's ending to collision where they lost a tag team title opportunity to FTR. Where MJF, um, or where Adam Cole put MJF's loyalty to the test. After 
after he knew that once they lost, Cole was going to turn on him. But this time around, MJF put Cole's loyalty to the test after he accused him of caring more about the world title than their friendship. So he like legit threw the belt, his world title, at Adam Cole and told him to just do it. Just do it. This is I'm so stupid. And yeah, he was ready for Adam Cole to turn on him. Um, and Roger Strong came back and told him to do it. Do it. I'm your best friend. And then Adam Cole was ready to strike, but just like MJF, he can't see, he can't will himself to do it. And then once MJF heard the belt drop, Adam he knew that Adam Cole was his true friend. And then they hugged it out. And then the confetti rained. And the confetti fell as, yeah, all in London came to a close. So, yeah, uh, there was no turn, uh, no heel turn by either one of them. Um, you know, I it would have made an interesting ending um, if, if one of them turned, more specifically Adam Cole. But I think having no turn, I, I think it's fine. I think, I think it'll make things a little bit more interesting down the road. Granted, they don't drag it out. Um, too long. Um, so yeah, I just wonder though, um, what they have planned following, um, this ending of them, you know, standing on top, um, you know, them celebrating, you know, still all friendly and yeah, you know, Adam Cole actually not turning on, on MJF or the other MJF not turning on Adam Cole. So it's going to be interesting eventually down the line. Who backstabs the other? So I guess it creates even more intrigue. So it actually makes you kind of glad that um, they didn't rush into the heel turn. Um, so I will say though that I really don't. I really don't hope that MJF goes back to being a heel because, yeah, like I said countless times that I like to see him go on a longer babyface run. It's something different. It's something fresh. I mean, yeah, maybe once. Um, the whole thing with Adam Cole is over with. Um, maybe <clears throat> get rid of the corny, uh, the cor- maybe get rid of the corniness. Um, um, and then, you know, show a little bit more, have that balance of your face and heel gimmick. Um, some, some aspects from your heel gimmick and, and try to incorporate, incorporate that into your face gimmick. But either way, I would like to see a longer, a much longer face run from MJF. I mean, I believe he could play both. I really think he could play both because we, we've seen so much of MJF as a heel now that I think it's time to have him go on a longer uh, babyface run. So, yeah, MJF is still your AEW world champion um, when it was all said and done. So, overall, you know, all in 2023 in Wembley Stadium, you know, for the build up, for the build up or lack thereof. Um, for pretty much only one or two matches, I thought the show was, you know, I thought it was okay. I thought it was kind of solid. Um, you know, there were some good matches on this show, like the trios titles match, the main event, um, and the ring of honor tag team title match that was tied into the main event, the coffin match. Um, yeah, there were some good matches on this show. Um, but everything else, um, I just didn't really care for it. I was kind of, I was like bored by it. And it was just meh. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I'd say all in 2023. You know, it was, it was a fine, it was a fine, solid show. At least one of the more, um, 
enjoyable, one of the more watchable shows from AEW than uh, in in the last couple in the last uh, year or so. And I will say this about All In 2023. You know, AEW took a chance on themselves. Um, you know, again, regardless of how you feel about them, whether it's good or bad, you know, I have to give credit where it's due. They got themselves 8,000 fans. They took a chance, um, you know, with all the detractors, all the criticism, you know, and all the fanboys. You know, they took a big chance. They took a big gamble on themselves and did the stadium show in Wembley and... I think they even like paid for everything, just about everything, um, for Wembley, and you know it paid. It kind of paid off for them, um, regardless of you know the paid versus distributed debate. You know we kind of have the to give credit where it's due for them, um, with having those the, that kind of fan support, even though it's kind of, you know you know kind of a hardcore smarky kind of fan support, but hey, they did it. it it's kind of a historic day for them. But it's something that you kind of can't discredit. So they're apparently going to run it back next year at Wembley. So I don't mind that. But please to God, since you're going to run it back in London again next year with All In, get rid of All Out. You have to get rid of All Out. It's way too overkill to do both All In and All Out within the span of a week. Or if you're going to do All Out, you gotta, you got to at least push it to another couple of weeks because look at right now, you don't have any build. You don't have, like you have matches on there, but little to no stories, little to no build up towards it. It's like all out feels like an episode of dynamite. Like pretty much most of these papers feel like episodes of dynamite, just longer with no commercial breaks. It's like, but more specifically, this one is an episode of Dynamite. It may be even an episode of Rampage. And Rampage is garbage. Nobody watches Rampage. So, I don't know, man. It's just like, you've proven that you can't build up two shows that are weak apart from each other. This, you proves it. So, since you're going to all in, you're going to do all in next year in London, you got to dump all out. You have to. Or, or again, my second alternative was push it, delay it to a, a few weeks later. You have to do something with with all out. You gotta get. You either have to get rid of it or push it a couple weeks later. Doing it within the same time frame, like treating it like two nights of WrestleMania or Wrestle Kingdom, whatever, within a week's time span, is overkill. That is way too overkill, especially considering that these shows are like nearly four hours. They're near nearly four to five hours, and it th- this is gonna be like a combined eight hours if we're keeping track of like two night WrestleManias. That is too long. That is too long. I mean, let's face it. I'm I'm more willing to watch a Super Bowl. I'm more willing to watch an NFL game than watching um, most AEW events and sometimes even WWE events. It's like it's it's just. Too long is really too long. It's really too long. But regardless, my feelings, they're doing all in at Wembley again next year. And you know, hopefully next next year, that time around, they do a better job of building up uh, their card well well in advance. And so 
more people can be better prepared for to what to expect. Um, and again, congrats to them for their first real stadium show. Um, all in 2023, I said, like I said, solid show. Solid, solid show. So anyway, those are my thoughts on All In 2023 in London, in Wembley Stadium. Um, whether you watch the highlights of them or watch the full show or uh, just random snippets of it. i like to know your thoughts on all the matches or whatever matches you watch from this AEW Big Show uh, in the comments on YouTube. Or you can send me a DM on Twitter and Instagram at VeryColdLasagna with your takes on All In 2023. But anyway, that is it for this episode of Very Cold Lasagna. I am your host, Dylan Lasagna. Thank you for tuning in to number episode 160 of this icy yet spicy sports podcast. And as always, keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge with your takes on the world of sports. And until next time, peace out.